HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Cedric Nikays, wine director of 11 Madison Park in New York City. We'll talk to Cedric about fine dining, fine wine, 11 Madison Park, and a lot more. We'll taste the Psalm fave, Riesling. And Cedric brought a bottle in, an interesting bottle. We'll talk about that during our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Belgian-born Cedric Nikays grew up in a family of wine enthusiasts. Cedric worked his way downstate to Oriol in New York City, becoming a sommelier at 11 Madison Park and eventually the wine director. Cedric Nikays oversees the wine program at the Three Michelin starred. New York Times four-starred, and the best restaurant in the world from the world's 50 best restaurants. There ain't a lot of that going on, right? <laughs> we, we definitely are in a very fortunate place. Yeah, we'll get to that. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Cedric. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Inside joke, thank you for finally coming in. <laughs> All right, so Cedric, I want to give our listeners a little context as to who you are. So give us a quick background on your journey in life and wine that got you ultimately to where you are now, which is the wine director of 11 Madison Park. Yeah. You know, I sort of backed into this career a little bit. Um, my my family, as you said, are wine lovers to different degrees. My uh, maternal grandfather, for what I can sort of remember and sort of what my parents have told me. He was a pretty serious wine collector back in Belgium. A lot of Burgundy, a lot of like stuff that we sort of drool over at this point. Die um, for now, right? Yeah, I mean, for... if we still had those wines, maybe I wouldn't be the wine director. <laughs> you know, I'd be too busy drinking them. Um, but, you know, great, you know, friends with uh, Armand Rousseau and yearly trips to Burgundy to buy and drink and, and meet people. Um, I wish I had been old enough when, uh, before he passed away to really right. sort of enjoy those wines and get to know the people that he knew. And, you know, now with a whole generation between, there's no, there's no connection there anymore, which right. is unfortunate. Um, my paternal grandparents are uh, maybe the most social people I've ever met in my life. Somebody was always coming over the house when I was there. So I spent, to, to back up two seconds, uh, I spent my youth 
you know, mainly in Connecticut with my parents. And then for any extended school break, so all summer vacations, a couple times during the winter, my parents would ship my brother and I off to Belgium to spend with my grandparents, which was amazing for me. Uh, and I think equally amazing probably for my parents. It's probably pretty nice to get yeah. rid of kids for a couple months. Um, it was either that or sleepaway camp. Yeah, totally. Right. And uh, and so my, my paternal grandparents were amazing. They, like I said, like literally had someone over at least once a day, every day. Um, they were they were certainly not wealthy, um, but had this like spirit of sharing. And um, my recollection, whether it's one hundred percent accurate or not, is that there was there was always some wine on the table, or a beer, or cognac. But you know, wine is is sort of my recollection, and nothing good, nothing like I mean, nothing bad. But it wasn't the wine wasn't the focus. It was the community. It was having people over, sharing. You know, just kind of kind of talking and and whatnot. Um, and that's sort of how I, I view wine now. You know, one of the questions I get asked very often is what, what is the greatest bottle of wine I've ever had? And for me, it, 90% of it has to do with what's happening around the bottle of right. wine, not actually the bottle. Right. Um, with the, the circumstance, which, not what's in the bottle. Exactly. Which and makes it just, sense. And it, and it could be any bottle. It just so happens that it was that one bottle. Right. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I, through high school, I, I didn't really didn't have a ton of focus, ended up in college, uh, way less focus in college, did a little bit of grad school, um, was working in restaurants sort of all throughout, and eventually decided that that was a viable career for some reason, and uh, that when I was in Ithaca, New York, where I spent college and, you know, 10 total years, um, that there wasn't what I was really looking for as far as a restaurant scene there, and really wanted to grow and learn and, and be a part of something really great. Um, so I moved to New Jersey, worked with, uh, with a friend of mine who had gone to Cornell. Uh, he introduced me to this great catering company, which introduced me to like a whole new level of dining and, and, you know, attention to detail and those kinds of things that you, I wasn't exposed to in Ithaca. Um, from there, you know, we're, we're talking about when I moved June of 07, you know, it was pretty good for about six, seven months. And then it was way less good, very high end <laughs> catering. Uh, there wasn't a call for that very much in 08. So I actually, I got laid off and sort of struggled and um, bounced around a little bit, did some odd, odd jobs. Uh, in um, March of 09, I got my first job in New York City, bartending at a restaurant called Brasserie. But which, up until now, everything you're talking about was not wine-focused or wine-centric. It was just the industry, exactly. but not wine. Yeah. So I'm guessing sort of from now on, the wine stuff starts kicking in. Yeah. And, you know, I I had oh, I always drank wine. You know, there was always a bottle of wine on, on the table. It was, right. it was always there. But it would never, you know, I mean, a Solian, I think for a lot of people, maybe it's changing a little bit now, but a Solian, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, actually on a, my first trip to Napa in April of 08, um, where she was like, you know, do you ever want to be a sommelier? And I was like, I could never be a sommelier. Like they, those people like know too much. And it's like too, like, I, I mean, you have to start training when you're like 15 and it's never ending. And I was like, I, it's too late for me. I can never do that. Um, but so at this restaurant, Brasserie, now called the Lobster Club, um, I overheard two managers talking about a wine class and I was looking for anything I could do to get ahead. You know, I'd been unemployed for a year. Um, so I was like, I should take this class put it on my credit card, took the class. Um, one thing led to another and ended up pushing me into a job at Oriole. Um, it was just a class, not a certification thing or a fancy So thing. it was the American Sommelier Association okay. and it was that Good class. Good organization. Yeah, great. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be where I, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair without them. Right. Um, so Andrew Bell helped me get a job at, at, uh, at Oriole as their bar manager, which I was totally unequipped to do and shocking that I didn't get fired within the first few months. But, you know, I, I kept it together and pushed and tried and, you know, worked hard and, you know, did, did, it's, and, you know, in a lot of ways, what I still do today, did whatever someone asked me to do, no matter how hard it was, whatever. Um, you and, didn't, you didn't think anything other than to do what they asked you to do. Yeah. I, you which know, which is service at its, you know, best level. Yeah. Um, they saw something in me, promoted me to a sommelier and sort of the rest is history from there. Um, you know, kept working hard, kept pushing. And then after about two years of being a sommelier there, I sort of, I wanted to make that next jump. Um, I really was 
really enjoyed working at Oriole, but it was really my time to go. It was... Um, Give me some context. Was it you and a few other guys? So it was I mean, the wine- they had two, three sommeliers. So at the time, it was a wine director, a full-time sommelier, which was me, and then a part-time sommelier. And at that time, it happened to be uh, you know part-time with the bar. Right. Um, and you know the wines we were selling were great, but I knew there was a world out there that there was more. There was you know just a higher quality of service, um, and I and I wanted I wanted to grow, and and I thought you know the next step at Oriole would be for the wine director to leave and I didn't necessarily want that job yeah I didn't I mean, not that I didn't want that job I it just, wasn't the only thing interesting to you exactly like I would you know if, if he had left I would have taken that job in a heartbeat I just didn't think that maybe was it's better he didn't and you were forced to you know in hindsight probably better so then what happens so I, I made a list of restaurants that I would want to work at um, I was super naive you know still in New York, <laughs> New York City industry for less than three years um, so I took what I thought were the best wine lists in the city. No real understanding of what 11 Madison Park was. No real understanding what a three mission star restaurant was or anything like that. You weren't paying attention to that stuff. I, I was too ignorant or naive or, you know. Not ignorant, just naive. Yeah. Because you're not an ignorant, ignorant guy. Sure. You're just, you're not paying attention to that. Um, I'd never heard of the Pellegrino list. It's embarrassing to admit to the public. <laughs> so uh, funny. Yeah. I, you know. Where you were and where you are. Yeah. And so I, I, for some reason, decided that 11 Madison Park was where I wanted to work. Um, I can't really remember all the things that um, made that a fact, but I really wanted that job. So I emailed Dustin Wilson, who was the wine director. Never met. I didn't. I didn't know anyone. Um, you know, never. I didn't really. I didn't even understand at the time what a master sommelier was. And like how incredible like that is. Right. So so I emailed Dustin, and I'm like, hey, I think I'd be qualified. Do you want to interview me? And you know, really nice response. Basically, no. Um, and that that went on for about six weeks. I emailed him, you know, just you, enough. You persisted, yeah, yeah, just enough to be like a little annoying in his face, but not, but not turn him off. Yeah, exactly, but not enough for him to be like, I can't, I wish this guy would just go away. And then I got annoyed, and I finally, because Dustin would didn't full out say no, but you know, we don't, we're not looking for anyone. We're not, you know, there's whatever. And I finally emailed him, and I was like, Hey, man, I know there's a position open can you just tell me no or tell me yes, like firmly? And, and his response was basically, well, when can you come in for an interview? Um, so, and that, that was that. He saw something in me that he liked, hired me. What year are we talking? Uh, my first day is 12? actually, yeah. So my first day was, I think, February 24th, 2012. So 2012, you land at 11 Madison Park, yeah. which you're there now, six years plus later. All right, so that... We'll get into 11 Madison Park. You get there. Do you get there as a sommelier? Okay. I did start as a sommelier. Okay, so we'll talk about it in a minute. But but I want to ask you a bunch of questions before we get into... um, So you're a guy that's not, you know, influenced by wine trends. That's not your thing, I don't think. Um, That being said, how do you stay on top of the wine world and continue to offer new and great wines you know to your patrons which which is an important part of what you do you don't do it because it's trendy but how do you stay on top of that yeah i you know if i were to look internally i would say that's probably a weakness of mine you know 11 madison park is is a beast in the best possible way we're super busy and we're, there's always stuff going on i do my best to to keep reading keep studying keep learning tasting things um i'm very lucky to have soon to be eight people that work for me Jesus. that could all take my job and are all equally as there was a time there wasn't eight psalms in new york city it's it's crazy <laughs> right? yeah it, it's it, so you it's have good crazy. people around you the best people so they have an input so yeah. you're forced to yeah. To I, see what's going on. I, I need to put wines on the list that they're interested in, that they think are cool, and that they want to sell. And you know, there are days where I do a better job of that than others. Um, but I, I endeavor to always be listening, even if they're not talking to me. But always endeavor to be listening to um, what what they're interested in, what they're chatting about, and what right. they've tasted, and put it on the list. That's important to nurture them. But sure. is Eleven Madison the type of place where it's so important? 
you know, to have either pet gnats or, you know, certain regions that it's it's not as important as other restaurants? It, it is not as important right. as other restaurants. So you're open, but you have to stay to the core. Yeah. All right. So speaking of or not speaking of trends, tell me... Tell me some interesting regions and wine producers that you hear from them about or that you've come across other than the standard list, which we'll talk about. So for me, where the things that I'm most interested in other than um, sort of the classic wines of the world are coastal wines. Um, I think being close to the ocean more much more so than a lake or a uh, moderating moderate, you know a river or something like that but something that's truly oceanic and coastal or island are are regions that can offer you know something really interesting something really delicious and then often uh, something fairly affordable um the affordable part is is always sort of the question you know at 11 Madison Park we forget a lot of times what affordable to the everyday drinker is um, but, you know, it, it is one thing that's, con- you know, constantly on my mind. You know, we, we do have, you know, a hundred wines on the list under $70 right. or so. So there, there are quite a few things, but, you know, part of the reality is that the wine world is getting much more expensive. You know, it's, it's hard to find really high quality wines at under, you know, call it $20 retail. Those wines exist they, without question, but not like they did, you know, when right. I started my career right. eight years ago. So go back to coastal. So coastal is pretty wide and covers a lot of regions. Sure. You know, give me the couple that, I mean, I could name a few, but obviously I want to hear them from you. What are some of the good and interesting coastal regions to you right now? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, the one that I, I'm, I'm sort of drawn to the most, um, but is just leaves the affordable category away pretty quickly, is Corsica. Um, Which is not Italian, north of Italy, but a French island. It, it is a French island. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, Napoleon Bonaparte's birthplace. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I think the wines, because of the nature of, of Corsica and how wild the terroir is and, you know, the shipping and whatnot, the wines have garnered some acclaim and have risen in prices in the last couple of years. So there are both still some affordable wines, but getting more expensive. So sure. acclaim and demand. Exactly. That, you know, ultimately push the price up. So whites and reds, Whites right? and reds, yeah. So what are some of the grapes there? The white grapes or? So Vermentino is sort of the main Good white coastal grape. grape. Exactly, yeah. Right. It's salty, briny, you know, with some texture and some richness. Um, and then there's a couple indigenous grapes. Um, Scacarellu, which is sort of. I'll spell um, it on our. Perfect. On yeah. our uh, media, on our uh, website. As long as you don't want me to uh, yeah. spell it now. It's S-C-I-A, God knows what else. Yeah. I'll figure it out. And then uh, Nilucio is sort of the other one. Right. And there's a handful of other things going on there. Um, Give me a couple of uh, makers in so, Corsica. I know Abitucci. So Abitucci is the guy who put it on the map. But are there other done, guys, some good value? Yeah, so Clo Canarelli, I think, is another really great producer. Um, Antoine Arena, sort of from the other side of the island, the north side of the island, is sort of the godfather of Corsican wines on that side. His two kids now have taken over the winery um, and actually split the winery in half. Um, I, I think those wines are, are terrific. Yves Leccia is another producer. Um, they're, they're great and ageable and interesting and um, so cool is it, wines. Is it fair to say... Before you got to 11 Madison, there were less Corsican wines on the list? You know, I, I would almost say that there's probably more. Um, you know, D- Dustin, my predecessor, uh, be, we worked really closely together, and right. he's definitely, like, a huge mentor to me. He, he's the one who showed me Corsican wines. Like, it's not something okay. that I, you know, pulled out, pulled out myself. But you I, saw the value and the quality and ran with it. Exactly. And, and I've actually... Been to Corsica with Dustin, right? Um, so it, he, you know, a lot of my story is going to be intertwined with with him, the shaping of my palate, and right, you know. Well, you, based on your background, which was limited, and I don't say that you know with any facetiousness or whatever. There's a guy that was sort of credentialed to the hilt. A great guy and a mentor, you know, is perfect guy to hook onto and you know have influence on you. Totally. Give me another coastal region that's fun. We should look for drink the Canary Islands. Canary is, is, Islands, is the other one. Spain. And, yeah, Spain, basically off the coast of Africa. 
Um, I think the again, sort of like like Corsica wild terroir. You know, a lot of bush trains, super old vines. Um, you know, it's windy, it's volcanic, it, it's you know all the recipes for. Uh, interesting wines, red and white. You know the mostly most, reds, mostly red. Right. The the stuff that I really like has been mostly red. Right. Um, but you know, going beyond that, islands in the Mediterranean, sort of all the islands, even you know Sicily, Marsala, right. the Spanish islands. Um, there, there's interesting stuff from all of them. And, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting area for wines that people don't yeah. look towards. Um, on the the wines from the Canary Islands, are there a couple of producers that are prominent, you know, that New York's a great market that you could find a bottle or two? Yeah, Bermejo is probably the, the producer that is... Can you spell it? Bermejo is B-E-R-M-E-J-O. Okay. Um, and they, they have a full gamut of wines from rosé to red to white, and, and I think of really high quality um, and then there's sort of a negociant called, um, I think it's Enviate, um, right. that is super A bunch trendy. of guys that are making different wines. Yep. Canary Islands is one of the regions. Exactly. They were actually in New York yep. a few months ago. Exactly. It's E-N, is it V-I-A-T-E, Enviate? Yeah. And I'm not super familiar with those wines, but they're available and the average quality is super high. Yeah, I've heard. Really good stuff. We'll post that. Um, you know, you used the word delicious before, and I think delicious is a great descriptor for wine. And, you know, in doing my research, I saw you throw that word around a little. So it must mean something and how you feel about wine. What, what do you mean by a delicious wine? I know it's a broad category, but, you know, a, a new Burgundy, an old Burgundy, a Bordeaux, a Corsican wine could be delicious. Why is it delicious to you? You know, for me, the, just the term delicious is, is sort of, it's really easy to define. It's also sort of impossible to define. It's just when you take a sip, it's just good. It just tastes good. Right. You know, and I love, I love old Burgundy. I love old Rhone wines. And those wines are really contemplative and intellectual they're not, in fairness, not always delicious. Right. You know? They're more complex or nuanced, yeah. not delicious. Something like some the wines that you want to, like, sit in front of by yourself and, like, think and, like, you know, like, there's, there's so much going on that it almost takes away from conversation around the table. A wine that's delicious is, like, I, I don't know, it's just good. It's just, it's just like, just ah, this yeah. is delicious. You know, and, and, you know, and sort of contrary to the contemplative wines, it's, you just, you want to drink it and keep talking to the person in front of you. And it's sort of, you know, you you move past the wine really quickly, but then, like, a few days later, you're like, man, that was good. Yeah. You know, and, and so it, it's hard to define what delicious is. And delicious for me is different than delicious for you or delicious to someone else. But I think that, I think we often... You know, sommeliers and consumers sometimes look, try to look past delicious. And I think that at the end of the day, like, that is the most important thing. It better start as delicious. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's what I asked you. That's why I asked you. Because like I said, I saw you throw around, you know, wine should be delicious. And it's an important thing. All right, let's talk a little about the 11 Madison Park Wine Program. We're talking to Cedric Nikkei. Cedric is the wine director at 11 Madison Park in New York City. So briefly, in a broad thing, tell us about the list. Size, you know, regions and all of that. Sure. We'll break it down and get through it. So uh, the facts are it's about 4,100 wines on the list. 4,200 maybe at this today. Um, always changing. You know, in an average month, we'll, we'll put on two or 300 new wines and take off two or 300 new wines. Um, we have about 20,000 bottles in-house. Um, it is classically so focused. What did you say? 4,100? 4,100 skews. Skews? Yeah. 20,000 plus bottles. 20,000 plus. Okay. Um, it's classically focused. So old world dominated... Um, but not any, I mean, although there are some sort of up and coming undiscovered wines, it, it is predominantly Burgundy, the Rhone, you know, German Riesling, um, those, those characters, some Barolo, Barolo for sure. 
um, Bordeaux, you know, all, all the, like the... But way less Bordeaux than Burgundy, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe equal Rhone to, Bur- to Bordeaux. I, I would say even it, it, today, you know, there's probably much more Rhone than Bordeaux, um, often because Bordeaux sells faster than the Rhone. Right. Um, we, we are in a place that we sell a lot of Bordeaux, so the, that's the part of the list that more often than other parts sort of grows and shrinks as time goes on. So when you got there and you were there when Dustin was there and worked with Dustin, the list was up and running. The list is the list because that's what the clientele wants. That's the food that that's the wine that complements the food. Those are the trophies you need to have. I mean, why why is it, you know, that list? All the above, you okay. know, and and I'll throw it out there too that it's totally ego and not and not, and I'll throw the other two previous wine directors in the bus, John Reagan and, and Dustin, as well. You know, like we have the ability to grow this amazing, crazy good list, and so why not? You know, and you know our egos are, are totally intertwined in that. Hopefully, they they don't think I'm a jerk for for saying that about right. them. Um, but it's also relative, like we, we sell the wine. It's not right. a museum. You know, the list, if you look at the list today and you look at it again in two months, it'll be noticeably different in every part, every section. You know, we sell What all do you stuff. mean by different? I mean, you, you said you'll add and delete. Yeah. But what's that based on? Seasonality? You're going to say all the above again. Sales. But no, season sales. 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 So if something's sitting there, you're done. No. You're, you're, a lot of the wines, I don't mind. I, you know, we're not trying to turn over every wine in a year or six, a six month period, uh, you know, I'm very happy to sit on something for five years, right. six years, 10 years. Um, you know, in some ways it only gains value. It also, you know, we, ha- we have some stuff on the list that we bought 10 years ago. That's like totally random. Um, and it's a place, you know, you can come drink it. And it's maybe the only place in the world, you know, who knows right. where you can drink that one right. thing. You know, I just put some, or just re, Put some, you know, to bring it back to what you were saying before, some 01 Clo Canarelli Rouge. You know, I'm not sure that there's a lot of restaurants that have some 2001 Corsican red wine on it. Right. Even in Corsica. Right. So know? those are the type of things you'll add. Yeah. You know, you'll delete the stuff that, that doesn't sell. Um, what, so right now, we talked about a little before, you know, what wines are exciting you, but specific to the list, what's moving off, what's moving on? You know, it's it's a non-answer, and I apologize for that. But a little bit of everything. You know, we bit. sell, we sell. If there was a section of the wine list that we couldn't sell, I would do everything I could to get rid of it. Um, and there is at this point no right. such section. You know, and I think the nature of Eleven Madison Park and our sort of philosophy of we'll do anything for anyone kind of thing. You know, if someone walks in and they they want to drink five year old Barbera. We're going to do everything we can to have that. If right. you want to drink some old Tompier, we're going to do that. Right. You, you know, and, and the list is, is endless, obviously. But that, that's the goal. That's the goal of the restaurant is, you know, we say one size fits all um, isn't really what we want to do. We want to do one size fits one. So right. you know, we really endeavor to, to be able to make everyone happy. So when every new wine director comes in and you had the luxury of working there and stepping into the position... They always put some sort of an imprint on the place. I mean, what would you say is yours besides staying the course to some extent? So I, I think staying the course to some extent is is sort of my role. So Eleven Mass Park is is a curiosity almost. Um, John Reagan joined uh, the team as the wine director, I believe, in two thousand six. Pretty sure. Um, and since then, through today, so 12 years, there's only been three wine directors. Which is crazy in this business. Yeah. So, you know, it's a place that, you know, inspires longevity. I've been there six years um, and the wine director almost for three now. You know, so John took the list from 250 SKUs, blew it up to about 2,500. Mm. Dustin then made it about 4,000 to the size that it is now. I'm guessing um, Dustin popped the Northern Rhones a little. He he, de- yeah, for sure. That's that his that thing. was his yeah, yeah yeah that was his biggest impact. Um, I've probably added more California wine than the other guys because of uh, a personal taste or because that's you're responding to the market. A little bit of both. So, so one of the things that I love and I try to keep it a secret, although this is totally not working, is I love old California Cabernet. Give um, me 
a couple of makers that represent what you're talking about. I mean, one of the top 10 bottles of wine I've ever had in my life was 93 Colgan. Okay. Um, which is certainly in the outer stratosphere price-wise. Yes. But, you know, old Mondavi, old Which Mark Mondavi? Abbey, the Reserve? The, the Reserve, but but it doesn't matter. You know, right. I, I think the way they were making wines, you know, in the 70s and 80s, it's all good. It those was, are, you know, those are fun wines. Drink. Yeah. Yeah. Um, old Heights again, sort of getting into that seventy four. Yeah, I've you know, I don't want to I don't want to turn this into bragging, but I've had seventy four Heights Martha's like eleven times. Wow, we we've sold a bottle off the list five or six times. Is there um, are there seventy fours on the list? There, there's seventy four Heights Martha's on the list currently. Listen, if they're not going to be there, right? Where <laughs> yeah, are they going to be? You know, and it, if you can't taste it every now and then, yeah, like I said, I you know, and and I hope. It, it's clear like I you know it's my job is amazing and I get to taste some of the coolest most awesome wines on earth but I my responsibility is to make sure that everyone has something that they can taste that they think is amazing when they come in so you love Burgundy I do I mean that's is that your favorite region Burgundy I know you're open to everything you know you said it intellectually stimulates do you there's a pretty big list of burgundies there. Do you push your burgundy, you know, love on the list or it takes care of itself or I, you, I do for sure. Um you're yeah, entitled to, but I think, you know, specifically white burgundy is what I've exp- what I personally have expanded probably the most. Um starting a little bit when Dustin was still there when he's giving, you know, turning over the power to me and you know, even letting me introduce me to start buying a little bit. Um that um and then Tampier were, were like the first two regions that I really started to, to focus Tampier on. Tampier is Provence? Exactly, yeah. Vandol specifically. Now, when you found your love for Burgundy and it grew, was it initially red Burgundy or it was always split and you kind of grew and learned white Burgundies? No, so my, my first love, and this is sort of the impact of uh, the first wine director, Justin, that I worked with, um, he was definitely a white Burgundy guy. And, he was. And and we drank a lot of white Burgundy in the cellar, um, which was an incredible education uh, of terroir and, you know, producers that way. So I've always, I've always leaned towards white Burgundy. Right. Um, I, I, for me, I think there's a sense of transparency in white burgundy when it's made like the best way. Um, that's almost people talk about it in Riesling, and I and I for me, I see it more in white burgundy. It's so damn expensive. It's I can't afford to drink it. Tell tell us how we can afford to drink burgundy. Is it Bourguignon Blanc? Is you know give us a few lower end tips on. How to touch it and taste it? Yeah, I think, and it's and it's something that you know m- maybe the secret of the Eleven Madison Park wine list. We have about forty skews of Bourgogne Blanc on the list. Um, some from de- de- depending on the producer can get very expensive, right? Um, even at that at that sort of le- quality level. Um, but out of the, those forty skews, I would say thirty or so or under a hundred bucks and keep keep always keep in mind the 11 mass park wine list has tip included we are right. not a gratuity restaurant so when it says a hundred bucks it's it's a hundred bucks and that's all right. well tax i guess the government's got to get their piece right um and then but then there's the you know the sort of the outlier regions for white burgundy Rui. um certainly i think spell Rui. r-u-l-l-y Rui. um can certainly have some really great producers we're, we're actually pouring by the glass uh some fiche um, which is F I C H E T. Yep, um, is a producer that I just totally love. Um, we're pouring 2014 Fiche Rui, um, and it's a wine that you know just bats way out of its weight class. Um, it's so good. It's so terroir specific. Can you specific. pick that up at a better wine store in New York, or is it a restaurant? I'm, I'm going to say it's probably not available okay. anywhere else. But it, the you know, so when you're in Eleven Madison, here's an opportunity to yeah. drink. Burgundy white at a reasonable price. Yeah. Which balance in the list as far as the type of wines and cost is important to you. For sure. I mean, you go out of your way to make sure those. Yeah. We, you know, I, I, maybe I should have prepared better for, for this, but a couple of years ago, we ran, you know, it's a couple of years ago, Dustin was still there. Uh, we ran a, a look at the list to see how many bottles of wine at different price points there were. And at the time, under I think it was seventy dollars. We had like a hundred wines, hundred different wines under seventy dollars. 
and under 100 it was like 460 or some something crazy you know when you when you think about like the really inexpensive wine list in the city you, you, they're not even coming close to 400 wines under $100 and i would venture with gratuity included that number is definitely uh shrank a little bit right. we're probably still 250 for sure wines under $100 on the wine list uh, at 11 Madison Park. So on the floor on a given night, you know, don't take a Monday or Tuesday, take a Thursday, which is busy, maybe not as busy as a Saturday. There is a good chunk of the floor that's going to look at you or your guys and say, listen, I'd like to drink for about 100, 100 or less. Yeah. I mean, not everybody coming in is a baller and is drinking Polini, Montrachet or whatever. Yeah. That's I, a big part of... And even if it was only one table... To be able to look at that one table, even if it was one table a year, and look at that one table a year and be like, yeah, awesome. You want to drink at something under 100 bucks? Well, you have to tell me more. We have too many options for that to be the only parameter. Makes them feel good. That's important. Makes to you. us feel good. And it provides an experience where, you know, our Solanes, my team is Solanes, our team is Solanes, is some of the best Solanes in the world, if not the best Solanes in the world. And to to not be able to have an exchange with them maybe makes the, the experience a little bit less good and to be able to have an exchange you have to have options because if you look at somebody and you're like i need something under her box and they're like well we have a white and a red right th there's no exchange there there's right. no conversation but if you know okay great do you want something dry do you want something you know sweet do you want something french something you, you know what they the questions that you then have to have with someone are sort of endless. So besides um, selection, service is a trait of yours and an obsession of 11 Madison, mm -hmm. and that's what your people are doing. Yeah. The guy buying the $100 bottle gets the interaction and experience yeah. as the dude buying you know, the $900 bottle, fair to say? Yeah, for sure. And your guys you know, realize that and work it that way. Yeah. It's easy to forget how important the person who, and you know, you can define it however you want, the person who saved for the year to have their anniversary at 11 Madison Park or, you know, even in how important those people are and how, you know, to make someone who spends $1,000 on a bottle of wine feel special isn't hard. They, right. they probably feel special all the time. Right. Um, and, you know, when that person comes to every restaurant, every restaurant makes them feel special. Right. What is often forgotten are people who spend $75 on a bottle of wine. And, you know, we, we need to make sure that that person feels special. That's, you know, that's at the end of the day, what, what service is, is identifying a person and figuring out what we need to do to make them feel like they're the only person in the room. True hospitality. And, and I again, mean, there's on the floor, there's on any given night regulars that are, you know, buying expensive wine, sure. but there's equally the two, three guys that are there once a year mm -hmm. for their once anniversary. In a but every night, yeah. you yeah. know, so you got a bunch of once a lifers and a bunch of, you know, so it, that's part of the culture there. Yeah. Um, a great meal is always complemented by a bottle of wine. Agreed. And the wine list should be as spectacular as the food. Those are your words. Um, break that down for me. You know, I, I think the first part is, you know, definitely a personal choice. The If you're going to have a great meal, you should drink something great to go along with it. You know, something, and again, great be, not being defined by the price point, but being defined by the moment and the company and you know, the... Right, Do meaning it doesn't have to be expensive. Exactly. Just thought out. So if you're going out to eat at a restaurant, wine and food complement each yeah. other. And a lot of it is personal preference. Listen, I don't love Cabernet with oysters, but if you do, you should drink Cabernet with oysters. I don't think you'll find a lot of people. Ah, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, but the other part is, you know, if you're trying, for me, and, and you know, obviously the different people will tell you different things. If you're going to build a great restaurant, and offer great service and great food, then not also then having a great wine list or a great cocktail program, you're sort of, you're, I don't want to say you're half-assing it because that's insulting to people who don't have the resources necessarily to do right. all those things. But it, it could be curated. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, there, there are people with small lists that are terrible and people with small lists that are, you know, award-winning. So Listen, I think in so many ways having a small finely curated list is way harder than having a giant 4,000 skew list. Like I can 
hide stuff. I you agree. Know? But you won't get in trouble as much. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so some true, right? great sommeliers in New York City that are running 100-bottle wine lists that you go in, you're like, man, I want to drink one of everything. I know. And then you go to some restaurants that have a 1,000 SKUs, and you're like, I don't want to drink anything. Right. It, it's just skewing. It, it's too homogenized or yeah, something. Yeah, or, or everything's marked up too much. It's, it's or, a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, we're talking to Cedric Nikkei. Cedric is the wine director at 11 Madison Park. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a couple more questions for Cedric, and then we're going to subject him to our wine list get some good recos from him. And Cedric also brought a bottle in on top of our weekly wine sip. So you're listening to the Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. One hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. One hundred Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment. 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Cedric Nikkei. Cedric is the wine director at 11 Madison Park in New York City. Um, Cedric, a couple more things, and then we'll talk about, uh, or I'll subject you to our wine list. You've been the wine director, was it three years already? Yeah, it'll be three years. How has the position changed or evolved since you've been there or because 11 Madison is so firm in its vision it doesn't change but it has to I mean how have things changed since the day you walked and besides what you learned I mean it changes every day it's crazy you know we we push so hard um, at every at everything we do you know every we, day we you know 2017, we uh, launched our retrospective menu, which we sort of changed our concept. We went away from sort of a shorter menu with some choices to, you know, our greatest hits menu, which had no real choices in it. Um, you literally closed courses. down and remodeled total and menu, right? Total gutting, total gutting of the restaurant, which is amazing. We opened a pop-up. We, every, we moved our entire staff the to the Hamptons. You know, we then... Um, reopened which is you know we opened a restaurant and i don't know how many three mission star restaurants have reopened after this total was cutting. in december of last year no november it was, it was uh october october 10th or 8th okay. or something like that it was reopening um we then did a series of events in in miami we opened nomad just recently you know yeah. there's there's it, it's i'm barely able to keep up on a daily basis crazy i mean um, daniel and will the principals have just have a vision that keeps going and an energy and an appetite to do cool stuff i generally use another word than stuff um (laughs) that that is never ending and a vision that is one that brings out the best in everyone so how much do you interact with daniel hum because in you know designing the wine list going forward and all that i mean you need to be aware of new dishes and the weight of fish and red meat and what yeah. type of red meats. Does that influence how you move forward on a day, month? Totally. So at this point, you know, six years in, I, I have a pretty decent handle on the the menu concept and food concept. Um, I, I will say one of the best parts of my job is 
being involved in our uh, menu development. So I, I'm in the lucky position that I get to spend some time with the sous chefs who, again, after six years, some, nice. some I've worked with for, for six years. Right. Um, so we know each other really well. And every once a week, generally speaking, there there's some sort of food show where they put up dishes that chef tastes and, you know, sometimes it's a home run and sometimes it takes a lot of critiquing. Sometimes it's, you know, something that needs total reworking. Um, but I'm there and, you know, after a few years now, my input is taken and, and I'm like a, a part of it. And it's, inc- it's incredible to see the talent that is around us and then also the talent that is Daniel Hume. Right. And you're a big wine education guy. You know, you, you just said, I think you're going up to eight sommeliers. Um, I think education is important for you and them. I think they listen to you. You listen to them. Talk to me about, you know, what you have to do on a daily, weekly basis to keep everyone together on top, create a culture within the culture. So I, I, I am now a manager for lack of a better way to put it, you know, my title is a wine director, but, right. I, but I manage a team of sommeliers. So a lot of the things that I do are uh, making sure that they have all the tools that are necessary to accomplish everything that I've asked of them and everything the restaurant asks of them. So in some ways, and it's unfortunate, but I, I think it is sort of the way of the world that eventually when you get promoted, you stop doing the things that got you promoted. Right. Um, so I set you up. You have to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way that's the, right. every, every profession, every sales everything. guy becomes a manager. He loves to sell. Now he has to manage. Same exactly. thing with a wine director. Yep. You know, you have to manage people now. So, you know, I put out certain mandates and goals and, and curriculum and I put, and I try to put the right people in the positions to execute those things. I give them the support. I give them the critique if it's necessary. And and just like Will and Daniel do to Daniel's me. Daniel's famous for that, being direct, right? He His ability to give feedback unemotionally is, and, and Will as well, is is awesome. And Does that rub off on you with your people? Yeah. I mean, I, I think every day I'm learning to become a better manager. Um, and I think... I, I'd like to think maybe ignorantly that the people that work for me really enjoy working for me and feel supported by me right. and also feel pushed, you right. know, cause I think though those three things have to be all in the one. They have to enjoy it. They have to feel supported. And then they also have to feel pushed. It's right. not a complacent thing, but you do some fun things. You have a happy hour with your staff on Wednesdays yep. where you're drinking and talking. You do formal education on a weekday. Yeah. One of the Psalms today taught a class in Tuscany. Um, drank a few, four or five different wines, including 98 Flacinello or 2000 Flacinello. Nice. I don't remember exactly. You know, and then also some Poggio Secco Chianti from 2015. You know, so r- ran the gamut. Um, so a different guy will step up with a different region or yeah. subject and just talk to everyone and taste through it. Next week we'll do Burgundy. Um, and again, we'll, you know, we want to open and taste with our staff the things that are representative of our of our wine program and of what people are buying and drinking at our restaurants. So nice. I'm sure Burgundy class will be will be pretty awesome. Um, and but it, it it is really the burden of my team so many ways to teach those classes. Right. Um, I'm sure they enjoy it. They, they they certainly do. Before we move on to our weekly wine list, I just want to give you one piece of advice. When a job opens up for a sommelier, be open-minded and nice to that guy because somebody was like that to you. Yeah. All right? Just because you're the big hoity-toity wine director at 11 Madison doesn't mean there's not a guy totally. ready to push his way up because that's you. All right. We're going to move along to our weekly wine list. We ask our guests to answer a bunch of questions about their tastes and preference. So, Cedric, we have five questions for you. You can buzz through them. We don't have to dwell on them. So what are you drinking now, personally at home, at the restaurant? What's on your table that wasn't there a month ago? And I drink a ton of Village Chablis. Village Chablis. Yeah. That's your thing. That, that is what we drink at home. Okay. That is, that is, you That's know, cheaper, not cheaper, more value-oriented Chablis. It is, it is cheaper Chablis. It is, Give me a good maker or two. Uh, Pews. Uh, P-I-U-Z-E. Yeah. Patrick Pews? Patrick Pews, okay. yeah. Canadian guy, moved to Burgundy with basically nothing. Delicious wines yeah. for a great price, good food wine. Yep. Um, that's on an ongoing basis. Anything, you know, that's sort of been in and out or? Um, 
those who know me well know that that's that's you're boring that way. Yeah, you know, I mean, burgundy in general. You know, okay, if it's splurge, so you stick to the burgundy. You're yeah. realistic. You're drinking the uh, what is it, petit chablis or petit chablis or the village, village okay. chablis. But there's also you know even for a splurge, um, premier cru chablis still running. You know, forty, fifty bucks okay. a bottle retail, which is you know definitely on the higher end of what but, I. But you know, drink. an occasion, you know, wine. Yep. All right, good one. Favorite Cedric McKay's favorite wine and food pairing. Something that you go back to. Something that is delicious with both things. Can you think of something? I, I mean, it's sort of a. You know, like you're not allowed Homer to say pick. champagne and oysters. Yeah, I don't show. know, but so I, give me something else. I, I will. It's sort of almost the exact same thing. Uh, Northern Rhone Syrah and the Duck at Eleven Madison Park. Okay, that's that's perfect. Yeah. By the way, nobody's given that answer. Okay. Northern Rhone <laughs> and a juicy burger, right. but the duck. There's a good you know match to that. Yeah. Um, besides Eleven Madison, and I know you're not a guy that goes out as much now as you used to. That's right. Tell me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar in New York. Somebody who does the service. So I, I think if I were to say who's running the the, you know I, I guess I have to say the second best wine program in, in New York City. You know, right. You gotta, you gotta, we, we qualify yeah. that. Uh, and it, we don't want to incriminate anyone or box you in a corner. Yeah. But there are people out there doing it well, and you're a good guy to recognize it. Michael Engelman at The Modern. Michael I mean, was I, on last it, week. Yeah, and he, in very selfless, very quiet, although when you get to know him, he's a little less quiet, uh, incredible ways, running an, an incredible wine program, both service and selection. I mean, he's he's just an amazing ambassador for wine that... You know, hopefully people, uh, if they don't now, hopefully I can somehow be considered in the same class as him. I I agree with you. And there's a lot of similarities in the program, personality, disposition. Um, Mm -hmm. Like him and like you, you know, you're good guys that are serious about this. That's the modern, that's uh, Danny Meyer's restaurant at the Museum of Modern Art. I would I would throw out Caleb, who's an old colleague of mine at Compagnie de Vin. He's doing a great job as a straight up wine bar it's with like great food. The best wine bar ever. We did the um, Grape Nation Wine Awards, and one of the awards was best restaurant or wine bar. And Caleb got more mentions from Caleb's guests, or not just sommeliers, but wine people. Caleb's killing it. Do you have a favorite all time wine? Did you drink a wine that was oh wow, that's memorable? Uh, you know, whenever someone asks me this, I, I have, or a couple. Okay. I have three answers. Um, all of which happen to be expensive wines. Um, one of which I paid for myself. Um, so the two, I would say just from like a, what's in the bottle point of view, wines that I've ever had are, uh, 66, uh, Romane Conti from Magnum. Okay. Which is pretty... That's working for most people. Yeah. I mean, I would say most people would That's like say. a... I wouldn't call it a unicorn because Romany is around, but yeah. those vintage years and availability, that's a once in a lifetime. And straight from the seller at the domain. So no right. provenance issues. Uh, I also had one one time, hopefully to have again, uh, 86 Coche Dury Corton Charlemagne. Okay. I would say that's a unicorn for sure. Right. Although I, you know, I, although I use the term a lot, I, I kind of hate it. Um, first vintage of Corton Charlemagne from, from Coche Dury. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty special. I know where there's one, one bottle. I know where one physically exists I've seen. So hopefully uh, someone will, will take the opportunity to share that with me. Um, and then the last is sort of very personal and really has nothing to do with what was in the bottle of wine, although it was delicious. And I can't remember the vintage, but I think it was 2000, could have been 2002, uh, Dom Perignon that I drank at a little restaurant on a lake in Vermont uh, three or four days before I got married with my wife over a plate of nachos. So a, gr- a great bottle of wine, champagne, with a great circumstance. Yep. You know, is that the greatest Dom Perignon ever? Damn good, but everything to, was To clicking. me, it certainly was. All right, we're going to uh, post those because there's some interesting answers there. Um, Cedric, we have about five minutes left, and it's an opportunity for us to taste some wine. You brought some wine in. I brought some wine in. So every week we taste a different wine on air. For our weekly wine sip this week, we're going to taste a 2015 Fritz Hogg. 
Braunberger Riesling Cabinet from the Moselle in Germany. The wine retails for about 25 bucks. It's available at better wine stores. Um, what can you tell me quickly about this wine in the region? Uh, so I think super classic uh, Riesling. I think cabinet level Riesling, although uh, I think sweetness in wine scares a lot of people off. I think the wine and really great cabinet or spatelace of Riesling, whatever quality level you're looking at, is balanced. So the wine certainly has some sugar to it, but um, is really delicious. And, it, and it's got great acidity, can match tons of different foods, you know, and it, just because it has sugar doesn't have to be um, at the end of the meal. If you're, you know, even, even with like a main course, if, you know, like uh, just doesn't have to be pork, but pork with a, some sort of fruit in, in the sauce or, right, you know. sweeter sauce. Yeah, you know. And, and you feel that way about this wine too, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a 100%. well-made wine. Yeah, yeah. Good this wine value is 100% for the that. price. Totally. Okay. And there's, there's always good value in Riesling. It is, you know, until you get into the upper echelon of G-Max or, you know, Charles Hofberg, um, Riesling has always... You know, the best Rieslings are much less expensive than the best right. X. But help me get out of this quandary that I always get into. I'm a cheerleader for Riesling. It's a great value. It's an interesting wine. People look to me to turn them on to interesting stuff. I try to seek out the best maker, the best value, try to go towards dry. Everyone thinks it's too sweet. You know, how do you get them off the sweet ledge, even though it is sweet? You know, that's the characteristic of the wine, right? You know, and and I and I hesitate because I I this is where I, I maybe sound like a jerk. Um, don't don't in, say that. In America, almost everything we consume has sweetness to it. Ketchup, Coke, you know, even for, the most popular red wines right now for red for residual sure. sugar. But everyone drinks Riesling, but, and they go this. But as soon as you look at Riesling, people are like, oh no, I don't want that. It has it, it's sweet. But they taste it and it confirms that. Yeah. So you say, wait, there's some minerality here. Terrible word, but real. Sure. There's some... How, how else can you describe Riesling? Uh, Riesling, you know, how, how would I describe Riesling? A little Riesling acidity? doesn't want it. Tons of acid, well-balanced, mineral, great fruit, um, interesting. That's it right there. Okay. Yes. It's sweet. Let's look beyond that for a second. Let's look at the balance. Let's look at the acidity, you know, let's eat a piece of pork, you know, with whatever and throw this over. Okay. So that's how we do that. All right. You brought a wine in. Um, wait, so this particular wine, um, we like it's, it's a good example of a good maker and all that. All right. You brought in, I brought in 2013 Domaine Jamais uh, Colline Rodinière. So the so let's talk of, about Jamais first. Bit of a cult wine. Yeah, for sure. You know, small small production from a region that you know specializes in small production. Um, they from Co Roti is where home base is, and this is wow, the that's good. entry level Syrah um, with a couple years of age on it. Um, so I brought this for for a few reasons. First, it's Pretty darn good. Pretty delicious. And, and I haven't I haven't tasted it in a while, um, so I thought this would be a great opportunity to share it with you. Um, I also this is a really good example of a way that I find value on the list at Eleven Madison Park. So this taking, wine is available on the list. This wine is available on the list. It's uh, sixty five, seventy bucks. Again, two included. That's it. So, so not you know, but it's it's important for me to remember at least that that's not. It's not inexpensive to a lot of people. No, I we're, we're we don't have to qualify yeah. that. But for wine lists in New York and a restaurant like that, it's a value. Yeah, I, for I the quality. Totally. Yeah, which is really what we're talking about. And the the jamais, the other ones are six, seven, eight, nine hundred bucks yeah. with some age. This is a baby of that in yeah. a way. And so it's entry level, which means it probably won't last quite as long. But this wine, I think, still has another solid, for sure, 10 years going, maybe longer. Um, yeah, you buy this. You could hold it for 10 years. For and sure. it'll show bottle age and all that. Yeah, long I mean, term, the, no. The 15s are just out a little while ago. So it's got a couple years. Um, it, 15 was a good year in uh, great year. Rhone, right? Yeah. So this would be a great wine to pick up and sell it for five, seven, eight years. Absolutely. Drink it each year. Yeah. Um, tell me about it. It's sort of almost got that Pinot 
kind of color and look. You know, yeah. it's not deep and brooding. It's not super light, but it's translucent, reddish. Yeah, you, you can see through it. It's definitely a little purpley. You know, Ciroc mm-hmm. can, can, can be like that. It's, um, I, I think, and uh, you know, you said it, it's delicious. It's, it's red fruited. It also has a little bit of dark fruit. I think it more has, red than dark. You I think feel? so. Yeah. Okay. Um, but also has great savory notes. You know, a little olive, black pepper, bacon. Very characteristic of um, all the northern Rome. The things. northern Rome. Yeah, and then Jamme. You know, like you said, cold J-A-M-E-T, producer. J A M E T. So everyone knows. And it's a. It is one of the very best producers in the Rhone. Um, and this is a really good way to sort of discover those wines at a price point that is more affordable than others. Um, I, I agree with you, and I thank you for bringing it in. The mouthfeel is sort of a medium feel. Um, the palate, like you said, is um, some red fruits with a little dark behind it. Um, talk to me about what we would pair this with. I mean, depends on where you are. I think, you know, burgers, you know, again, the, the duck at 11 Madison Park, right. I think this would be killer. Meat. You know, Steak. A darker yeah. fowl, meat, juicy exactly. burger. Yeah. All right. So you said this retails for about 30, 30 bucks okay. or so? I'll post this on our uh, site so everybody knows. My advice would be if you can find this wine retail, <laughs> That's you, should, one thing, you yeah. should buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe Dustin has it. Maybe not. <laughs> um, I was going to plug Dustin. I didn't know if I, that was uh, allowed it, here. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Dustin's Ver- a Wine Shop. Uh, carries if, these type if of wines. Anybody's going to have it, they're going to have it. Online and walk-in in New York. Yep. So we like both wines. Good examples of the varietal, right? Exactly. Um, and like I said, we'll post the Jamais and the uh, Fritz Hag on the uh, website. All right. We're going to wrap up, Cedric. Um, if you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Grape Nation. I'll post Cedric's um, wine list answers on Facebook, and we'll post them on Instagram, too, within the next week. Follow The Grape Nation on Instagram at sbenruby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. Um, Twitter, it's at Ben Ruby. Cedric, where could we find you on social media? I am said loves bacon. Now you have a dog. I do have a dog named Bacon. Why? Uh, it's a long story. Does it have anything to do with the Roan and any of the characteristics, or none of that? It doesn't. It's about okay. trying to trick my wife to name the dog something wine related, and it ended up being Bacon. Okay, that's a cool name, though. It's great. So it's your Instagram is said C E D loves bacon. That's right. At Instagram. Um, and eleven Madison Park. You can go online, look at their wine list, look at their uh, menus, everything. It's beautiful. Um, before I let you leave, <laughs> Dustin had sent me an email, and this makes no sense to me, so I'm gonna ask you. He said, Ask Cedric about using super soakers to do port tongs on champagne in the wine cellar. What the hell does that mean? So as most great things happen in the wine world, um, we came up with the idea to, that we should use port tongs and old... What old, are port tongs? It's uh, basically steel tongs that you heat up and then uh, you can, with heat, essentially take the top of a bottle off. Ah. Um, but we... Like a way of sabering? Sort of. Sabering still wine. Right. Um, we somehow decided that if we applied that to champagne it would be dangerous to like stand next to the bottle because the it's the heat transfer heat to cold uh transfer that makes the um top come off if we did it with champagne you had to stand far away from it because it's dangerous potentially so we would use the tongs heat the bottle up and and then stand, step away from it and shoot it with a super soaker so the water on the hot would like blow it up or something exactly but just the top comes off um, and we've perfected the technique in the wine cellar. Jesus. I thought you guys were a lot more mature than you were. You know. But you're on to something. We are. The, I'll leave it with this. Part of the mission of 11 Madison Park is to make fine dining fun. That's and right. what's more fun and than. don't stop doing that. Blowing up bottles of champagne. That's right. Soakers. All right. Cedric. Cedric Nikkei's wine director at 11 Madison. I want to thank you for coming on The Grape Nation. And hope to see you soon. Hope to see you at the restaurant. I hope to see you too. Thank you. Thank you.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.